Welcome to the Cowboy Office Show, where you'll experience expert analysis and epic discussion on key pillars of the equine industry, including sports, business, hobby, and the horse lifestyle. Your co-hosts are Jody Brainerd and Brian Dykert, industry veterans with over 120 years combined living the cowboy lifestyle. The Cowboy Office Show will help you get involved, ask more questions, and create change. We'll keep riding for you as together we learn from the ride already ridden, learn to listen better to our horse, and make our industry better for all. Each weekly episode, we'll take a ride around the industry in less time than you can load the truck and trailer. Drop your email at cowboyoffice.com to receive weekly updates and never miss an episode. Settle up as we ride into today's show. Hello, Horse World. We have a special guest with us today, the man that had a cool beard long before beards were fashionable. That's, that's a fact. A longtime friend, highly involved professional in our industry. Um, an interesting point, the administrator and owner of one of the largest Facebook groups on social media, Reigning History 101, and history's a little bit of his forte. Um, we're going to talk IHSA, Reigning History, and a little vision for the future. Welcome to the Cowboy Office. I'm Brian. And I'm Jody. Welcome. We want to welcome and introduce our special guest today. Uh, this guy's been training horses for 29 years. He's got two NRHA World Championships of his own. He's coached multiple World Champion recipients. And considering his, his heritage, I want to say pedigree there, but his heritage uh, <laughs> career path is uh, somewhat predictable. His father, Mike Corrington, is an NRHA judge. Also, an interesting little tidbit, he trained an AQHA World Champion reigning horse named Dogpatch Doc for my father, Jack. Uh, yep. And his stepfather is NRHA Hall of Famer Bob Anthony. We'd like to welcome Bart Corrington, owner-operator of BC Reigning Horses, Tallahassee, Florida. Welcome. Bart. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's, it's interesting uh, interesting <laughs> times we can do stuff like this. It's good. Isn't it, though? It's, that's really funny. I was, I was going to give you a little grief here right off the get-go. I was going to say when I, I looked down at that... At that uh, owner of bc reigning horses i was going to say bart you stepped way outside the box name in that business buddy you know yeah. my you know my heritage we have to stay it, within the lines you know exactly i get it uh well let uh, tell us a little bit i mean we know well we we've kind of all grown up together um in, in a little bit of different formats but anyways you you have an interesting heritage no doubt about it um, and, um, talk to us and fill us in a little bit about your business. You're in Tallahassee, Florida, and you run a, a horse training operation, but you and your mother are also very involved in the IHSA. So tell us a little bit about your business and your operation and what's going on. Right. Um, I've been in Tallahassee for uh, 30 years, I guess, um, I started working for Bob when I was, you know, still a teenager and went through all that. But we've had this place, I think, uh, eight years. Um, we kind of do a lot of different things. My mom coaches the IHSA team for Florida State. Um, we have a, a, a reasonably strong little group of non-pros and, and youth kids that we take to NRHA ratings. Um, we have a decent size, just regular old lesson program for local people. And we board some horses. I mean, we got a lot of different things going on. So it's, it's stays busy, stays busy a lot. 
And the status, good that you're busy. That's always a great thing and blessing in itself. But relative to the modern horse world, that means what in to you? Um, I mean, uh, I think we're reasonably successful in in the world that that we're in. Um, I think in in today's world, you kind of have to do a lot of different things. I think focusing on one thing or another is pretty hard. Uh, we have a lot of irons in the fire and we try to manage them all and keep everybody, keep everybody going. Um, it's interesting. We have I don't know, close to 30 horses on the farm pretty much all the time. And since COVID, uh, we've gotten a lot more and, and the horses that we have, a lot of them are actually owned by people in town, which is interesting to me. Um, we probably only have three or four customers that could take their horses home if they wanted to. I mean, most everybody lives in town and keeps their horses here. And 15 years ago, I would have said, you know, that's crazy. Non-agriculture people, you know, people who haven't been in the, in the horse world or some kind of ag world have some kind of farm situation typically didn't have horses. And so I think that has, uh, that's the biggest change that I see in the last few years for what we do in our area. Um, where we are, there's not a whole lot of, uh, of uh, professional horse activity. There's a lot of backyard people, a lot of English farms. Um, you know, you get down around Ocala and other parts of Florida, there's a lot more, a lot more of that stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I've always liked living here. It's, it's pretty cool. And, and, to have that access to people that are outside of the industry, I think is it's it, it makes me feel good about what we do that we're getting other people involved in it, bringing people to it all the time, you know. Right. And I think that's a I think that's a smart I think that's a smart way to do business. I think that you know when you when you you know sometimes it's kind of like the farmer that he's got wheat and cattle and you know if one's not good something else is good. So I think sometimes right. you know if you're you've right. got some non pro horses you got an open horse or two I. I had a pretty small barn, 16 stalls for me because I liked one other person working for me and that way right. overhead didn't kill me. And I think that, right. I think lower numbers is a, I mean, that's a, it's a smart way to, a smart way to run a business. I'm, I'm also, Brian and I had some discussion about this in the past too. I mean, well, we did actually, when we were kind of prepping for this show with you the other day, when, when you told us that, you know, that many people were, were, you know, interested in reining horses and, and we're in the city. I could expect that out of a boarding stable, but I, I wouldn't think anything about that as far as people that have taken over and started to show horses and want right. to compete. That's wonderful. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and one of the things that's interesting too, well, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into the college deal, but we have, you know, some of those IHSA girls who have, who have gone to school and, and been on the team and all that. And well, I just had one here earlier today that, she was on the IHSA team here in college six or seven years ago. Um, she graduated college and went and got a job and became, you know, reasonably successful and showed up here, you know, a few months ago and wanted to buy a horse and wants to get into showing and wants to kind of come back to it. So, uh, you know, I think uh, creating a situation where you have long-term customers is a, is a whole lot more stable base than having people coming and going all the time. I, I agree with you. I think that's, I think that's, uh, I hate, I hate to say that I've been old enough to have now coached 
kids of the mothers that I actually coach. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. so, I mean, it's like exactly. not possible. But when we're talking about, um, you know, the IHSA, tell us a little bit of the difference, because I, I even doing some work for Oklahoma State University, I wasn't fully versed on the difference between the NCEA, you know, the College Equine Association program and the IHSA. So can you fill us in a little bit? Um, I know a little bit more about the IHSA. The IHSA, I think yeah. the basic differences are um, the IHSA shows it's more like a horse show. In other words, they have different classes. They have like a walk track class and they have some more rail classes and all different levels of riders um, on the Western teams. Uh, I believe that in CEA, they basically just have horsemanship and reining, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, as the Western um, events, yes. Yeah, they, uh, like I said, these girls can start in a walk trot class. We have kids that are on the team pretty much every year that had, have never even ridden a horse before. Um, my mom keeps, I want to say, about 20 girls on that team every year. Um, you know, a few graduate and a few more roll in. But I would say for the last five or six years, there's been 15, 20 kids on the team pretty much every year. Um, so the, like I said, the basic difference I think is just the, what they're doing when they're showing. Okay. But there's a couple um, things that you, there's a couple things you bring up. One, the change in the industry that you see with, um, I'm going to call them urbanites. They're more mm -hmm. urban people that are wanting to get involved in horses. You see that on a mm -hmm. business level and they're right. buying and keeping horses at your place as opposed to having to, you know, buy more property and all that kind of right. stuff. Right, right, right. That's very interesting and very cool. And then number two, because Florida State, you, IHSA, your program is a four-year program. So you're seeing 20-plus people you're getting access to them and you're working with them for three to four years, correct? Right. Right. And, and the bulk of them are not coming from the horse world. That's right. very with, interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say, I don't know the exact percentage, but at least half of the girls, the new girls coming in every year, but mm -hmm. well, just, just want to ride a horse, just want right. to see what it's about. And, and I mean, there's a few that show up for the first couple of the first couple of lessons or the first couple of meetings or whatever. And, well, they might decide it really wasn't for them. But for the most part, they kind of hang with it. And like I said, with the IHSA stuff, they can show in the walk trot. They can show at a very green level um, and then work their way up through those classes. And uh, the reigning in the IHSA is the highest is the highest level. So that I think they have three or four different levels of rail classes before they can, before they can do the reining. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool to watch them kind of go through the whole, the whole scale. And the, you had said earlier, it's dominated by females. IHSA, unlike NCEA, because it's an NCAA activity, which is title nine driven. So it's all females on the NCAA level at the, at the club level, which is IHSA. Right. But it's dominated by females, correct? It's, yeah, definitely here. And, and when we go to the, you know, like the regional shows and the, the bigger shows where more of the schools kind of meet, I mean, there may be one or two guys on, uh, on a few of those teams, but it's, it's not very common. Not that I've seen. 
And I so, don't, and I can't explain why that is. I, I would think there would be a lot more of them. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Right. I, I get that. So do the girls just, if someone watched this show and said, well, I want to get involved in that. Um, do the girls come to you? I mean, do you go recruit or do you just, I mean, do they just call you up and say, no, hey, we at want that, to, at that level, mean, the, the, the girls who are, you know, the current girls who are on the teams, they have, uh, well, they have different campus meetings and, oh, I, I don't know, bulletin boards or whatever they have on school. And they and they get people to come to the meetings um, and then they can come out and take a lesson and try it out. I think my mom has, if you want to be a competitive rider, you have to take, you know, a certain number of lessons within a certain amount of time. But um, like this year, I think she has three or four girls that are that just want to ride that are on a non-competitive level. In other words, they're not even ready to go in a walk trot class yet. They're just trying to get in it enough to do that. So um, we don't recruit. I think maybe the girls just socially kind of recruit and stuff at school, um, but it's a club sport. So it's not supported right. really very much at all by the school. Right. Um, the girls pay for the lessons. We supply the horses. Um, Ursula and I have kind of helped out the girls, you know, with the uniforms and the kind of when they go to the horse shows. So they all kind of match and look, you know, don't look like a bunch of ragtag kids. You know, everybody's got the black shirts and the same hats and the same chaps and all the things. Um, but the school really doesn't support them very much at all at that IHSA level. Right. Not an, at an athletic um, organizational level because it's a club right. activity. So right. they have to do their right. own, they have to do their right. own budgeting. It's, it's yeah. yeah. So like my yeah, mother, okay. you know, she works for the girls. She doesn't have any affiliation really with the school at all. Okay. It's, she's not a school, you know, she right. just works for the kids. Right. That's cool. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's really interesting. You know, the college thing, since I've been involved in it, it's so, it's so highly competitive that, you know, they, I mean, Laura, my niece, she's recruiting all the time as is oh, yeah. Gary Sanchez, the head coach, you know what I mean? They're, it's so competitive, you know, with, with, I mean, it's, it's crazy um, with the schools right. that are after and the it, talented riders. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, and I'm, I don't want to get too far off the course here because we want to talk to you about a lot of different things, but you know, relative to, to showing a little bit. And I, you know, since Brian and I, you know, the officiating is near and dear to our hearts. I'd like to talk <laughs> right. just a little bit about the, about the two differences a little bit. First of all, let me ask you about, about the horses, because I think it's probably the same. It's, you know, all our horses are donated to us at Oklahoma State University right. as the major colleges. Is that the same with you guys pretty much? I mean, or? Well, I think in your, in your guys' case, the, the, the horses are donated to the school. So right. whoever donates those horses can write that off as, you know, as a tax write off. Um, we have some horses that were donated basically to us. It, it, it's again, it's, it's not the school's responsibility. So, you know, we have some horses and I think the main, the main issue when the IHSA has a show, um, they need quite a number of horses, you know, 8, 10, 15, 20 horses. And those are all donated and brought in from whoever and wherever they can, wherever they can drum them up. Um, the For horse situation single. in those deals, I think it's like the NCEA. 
they're kind of donated horses. So sometimes you get some really good ones and sometimes you don't, you know, it's, yeah, it's, for it's sure. luck of the draw, literally. Right. Yeah. From a competition standpoint is, is, are the competitions based kind of like the, you know, the colleges, I, like I said, it's, it's, uh, it's something that's new and different to me because, you know, two girls compete on the same animal, right? Right. I, I mean, right. is it, is it the same way with, with, no, these girls, the like I said, it's more of a class situation, you know, okay. more like what we're used to in a typical horse show. They okay. draw the horses, you know, out of a hat. Right. Um, I think your girls get maybe five minutes to warm them up. These girls have to get on and show. There's no warm up. Okay. Um, they can watch the horses being warmed up by someone else. And when, when the class starts, they get on the horse, they go show that horse. Um, okay. I guess much like in your situation, uh, sometimes the person who draws the best horse might not be the winner. If, if one of the girls can show, you know, the, the dink a little better than the girl could show the really good one, you know, that's yeah, right. shows off their horsemanship skills a little better. I think, I think that's, yeah, it's interesting because it's, uh, like I said, so the donated horses, you know, because I've been asked obviously at the, at the NRHA majors here, um, there must be that IHSA competition going on. But somebody called me and said, hey, do you have a reiner that we can use, right? So it's just for that right. competition. Exactly. Right. Okay. Right. okay, cool. Right. All right, interesting. Um, okay, and just one more thing. Like I said, can we get back to the officiating again? And, you know, with the, with the college-level officiating, like say we have at the Big 12 Championships and the Nationals, which is right in your kind of backyard, um, mm -hmm. Those are we. They're required to have carded NRHA judges. Okay, so they mm -hmm. have a reigning horse judge there, which is obviously good. But on the on the regular meets, that's not a requirement. And I often like that to a a quarter horse show with a single judge, where it's very right. difficult to be an expert in twenty five different classes. So exactly. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's a it's. I mean, it's a really difficult situation where a girl actually gets a horse shown, and and maybe someone comes in and runs one off their feet, and they're still looking at speed right. and and right. it's not the control right. part doesn't doesn't come into play. So do, right. do you find that that's somewhat of an issue with with your competition levels too? I mean, at the IHSA level, I believe so. Um, you know, the judging, uh, it's, I think it's a, like a lot of other things. Sometimes the judges are really good and sometimes they're not. And I think uh, in this situation, again, you are relying on maybe a local judge to wherever the show is so they can save a little money. You know, you're relying on somebody that's maybe going to donate their time or, you know, something like that. So, uh, maybe you don't always get the the cream of the sure. crop as far as judges goes. I, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I think it's a, it's a slippery slope either way you want to look at it. Uh, I think that the NCEA level, I think there's a, there's more money and more prestige and more things involved in it. So I think yes. they demand a little more, uh, you know, a little more out of, Absolutely. the judging right. and, and what they're looking at. So uh, that's my, my opinion. I've never, never been involved with the NCEA, but sometimes a, at these shows, I shake my head at the end of the day and think, man, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know where that came from. So yeah. it's, it's, and you know, talk, talk about yeah, venues. Right. Where, where's the bulk of the competitions that IHSA are happening? Are they at 
schools that have farms or are at they are they at public venues or where are they held at? And who's putting well, we've them? We've had them here. We've had them here at our farm when when the FSU has hosted shows. Um, uh-huh. I believe the University of Florida has their own facility. I think that they are maybe the only ones that we compete against that actually have their own facility. So the rest of the shows are at uh, each school's, you know, represented facility, which here would be our place. I think they compete against five or six um, other schools. So they ever how many schools there are, each school hosts one show a year. Okay. Um, so it's at whatever facility that, you know, the school, the school yes. has. Right. And you know. does it happen? Is it all in one day or is it over multiple days? And um, I, I believe now they're having them over the weekend. They have a Saturday, maybe they have like a sh- two shows on Saturday and a show on Sunday. I don't, I think it depends yeah. on the school and depends on how many entries they have, I believe. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, interesting. So are they, are they, I mean, they, like I said, the ones that we have, like say here at the NRHA major events or the one that we, I can't remember if it's the Derby or the Futurity that they would have it at, you would be able to tell me that probably. But is that like, um, is that your national finals, that competition or something like that, far as the reigning goes? Or is it just, I mean, how, I, how I big, it, how big think, an area? I think they have, you know, they have their, their regional finals and then they have the nationals. I think the regionals and the nationals, they move around, um, well, the regionals they have obviously in the, in the own re, in their own regions, but the nationals. One year they had them down here. One year they're, uh, they they had them in upstate New York. I think one year they had them in California. I think yeah. they kind of moved that stuff around. I yeah. think the biggest thing with with those situations is uh, who wants to be responsible for hosting the show because whoever's responsible for hosting the show. <laughs> Got to do the work. Has to try to gather all the horses. Horses, yeah. And and we're talking yeah. about you know, like I said, it's more of a horse show situation. It's not head to head. So, right. You know, you've yeah. got to have enough horses for ten or twelve girls to show in several different classes. And I mean, that's a lot. It's a yeah. it's a lot to ask people year after year to you know here let me use your yeah. horse again. Right. Yeah. So since you've been involved at this level. Do you see college equine activity growing or about the same? Is there more activity at that level? It has definitely grown here for, for, for our local team. Um, I think, I think it, it ebbs and flows. Uh, I believe that the, the, you know, there's a little, maybe a little more participation, but I don't think there's been a huge explosion in okay. the in the level of participation at that you know at that level, but like I said, I think we're working more off of off of a very beginner basis, right. and and I think a lot of the if the kids truly grew up in the horse world, right. uh, they go they go uh, a different and, and way. they're really horse showing and they really want to go on, then they're going to lean more towards your your NCEA teams where they can get a scholarship and you know and and uh, you know have some benefits that way from it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's a huge, it's a huge savings for, for a girl that, you know, gets a full right. ride scholarship at university. Right. Uh, it's, uh, I think that, you know, that there's, I, I hate to use the word stable, but I mean, for, for the NCEA, but you know, I mean, it's, right. I, you know, there's always a limited number of schools that have the program and right. there's a limited number of scholarships that they can offer. So right. it, it, it just kind of stays 
you know, if OSU has yeah. 50 that they can offer, they have 50 girls in it. And, that, and, and I don't, and I don't, 70. and you may be able to answer this question. There's a question for you, Jody, uh, that I know that that's a title nine requirement for those schools to have, you know, to have those classes or have those teams, um, for the girls. And it offsets the budget for the, you know, the football teams and all the other money they yeah. spend. But I know in the last, I don't know, five or 10 years, there's been a couple of different times that that Title IX thing has come into question. You know, those I think those schools are always looking to spend their money on the football teams and on the on the guy stuff and pull the plug on some of the other things. So, you know, I think it was just a few years ago they had to write a bunch of letters and kind of I kind of had to make a big stink to get it to continue. But I don't know if that's always in the background or is that is that something that they've kind of stabilized for now. I, I think it's I think it's pretty stable for right now as long as as long as the same number of scholarships are required from the boys to the girls standpoint you right. know what I mean football right. and you know I mean it's, they take so many and so they right. you know I mean the the girls programs are pretty safe that. because yeah they've got softball and they've got girls basketball and you know I mean they right. can't compete with the boys football team right. so I think that's I think that's that's pretty stable it's, pretty stable. it's more of yeah yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. Anyway, it's like I said, I'm relatively new to it. I'm having right, a blast right. doing it, but it's uh, right. it's something that I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not super familiar with. But I do know that uh, I, I do know how the scholarship. They feel good about so. it. Laura feels yeah. good about her future. She, <laughs> she 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 feels good about it. I, I was laughing because I had a good conversation with her. We talk a lot, obviously, since she lives a mile away from me and she is my niece. But. Um, you know that from the officiating standpoint, I'll tell you guys just a quick story about it. She is, she's actually head of the officiating program for that NCEA, and she said, mm-hmm. "I just have, you know, there's just so many of the college coaches won't, they don't see things the same. Obviously, it's you know, right. I mean, it's kind of a, obviously, you're, you're if you're a coach, you're paid to win, right? I mean, or you want it, you right. want to try to win and be competitive and keep your program, right. but." So I said, you know, and she said, anyone that says something, nobody else will agree with it. And I said, well, I said, go outside the box because she's looking for a, she was looking for a, uh, the English flat, you know, to have some consistency in the way that it's judged. And, and I said, well, go outside the box. I said, go find an expert at that. Right. You know, USCF is the program that they follow their rules. I said, so go find somebody that knows about the English flat at that level. And I said, bring that person to your coach's meeting. I said, then you're, you're pulling in an outside expert. You're not forcing someone to try to listen to you. And so she said, she just got back from the coach's meeting in Fort Worth. And I said, well, how'd that work for you? She said, I have my expert, you know, who is, you know, and she said in about three seconds after she told, you know, what she was interested in and she, this is how it should be because nothing that you're doing currently is in, is in the industry. And so here's, here's a better way to do it so we can teach and coach and market. She said three seconds after she hung up, the room was total chaos. And she said it was (laughs) 45 minutes worth of arguments between everybody. She said, okay, well, let's move on then. So anyway, it's like, yeah, I thought that was just a funny story. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. Right. I think the best, uh, the best thing, one of these IHSA, IHSA judges told me, um, when we got done with the day, you know, these girls are all asking questions about why they place and why they do this and why they ended up where they ended up. And the judge says, basically the way I judge these shows is I'm going to watch all you girls ride. And the one who wins the class is the girl that I would want to come back and ride horses for me, whether you're on the best horse or the worst horse in the pen, 
I'm going to watch you ride these horses. And I want the kid that I would want to give a job to. Right. And, and that makes sense to me. Uh, I don't, you know, that might not be the, that might not be the great official way to do it, but it made sense to me. So that's kind of what I try to tell these girls when I have to chime in, you know, beside or behind or over, um, my mom sometimes is, you know, you girls got to ride, like you're trying to get a job with this guy, like do what you think he's going to like, or she's going to like, you know, um, within the realm of what you're doing. But when you're riding such a varying degree of horses, I, man, I wouldn't want to be the judge, you know, <laughs> Jeez, you talk about trying to, trying to figure things out, but if you know, you imagine, use, I, imagine five green rainers and some, and some non-pros and some open riders all in the same class. I mean, right. right. No, I hear you, but simplifying the criteria and getting it down because right. th- there's a good right. one because now right. it's not about trying to pick the best horse it's about trying right. to pick the better horse potential person person the horse yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. straight jockey and yeah. i think that's a difference with the ncea they're the i don't know how they do that because they're they're both riding the same horses it's a head-to-head competition so right. you're I, I guess in a way you're still going with just exactly what the rider's doing it doesn't really matter right to a certain degree what the horse is doing i don't know that seems like that would be difficult Jody and I have casually talked about that. And so we're going to spend some time kind of looking into that at the mm-hmm. NCEA level. Mm-hmm. Um, because their pursuit, let me ask you this question. Is IHSA's pursuit to win kind of at the top of the list? Or is this really about developing skills with people that are interested in horses? For, you know... Hopefully both. I don't, okay. I don't know what their official, <laughs> I, I don't know what their official idea is. I know right. what our idea is. I mean, our idea is kind of both, but you know, right. as far as every right. school in the IHSA as a whole, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, but I would think that it would be more of, you know, the horsemanship part of it because there's so much more involved. It's not strictly a head to head competition that, you know, you have to, Right. You know, there's the team aspect and everybody's on the team and everybody's showing in their own classes at their own levels and you work up through the levels and all those things. So I would think that, you know, building, building horsemen would be, would be a, a goal one. through the whole thing, right. you know? Right. Well, that's what I've found interesting in the college level of equine activity, that mm-hmm. it seems to be, it seems, I don't know this by numbers, um, you know, we looked it up the other day, the IHSA, and I understand the difference between the club sports versus the, the athletic director sports um, at college levels. But when you look at sports and sport activities and you go to the professional level, and we talk about that a lot in the reigning mm-hmm. world, the, the college level would be a logical space that more people could get introduced to horses, one, reigning, two. Right. Right. As as more of a normal process without all the other costs that everybody in the industry wants to bark about all the right. time. Right. Exactly. So I would see that as very positive and it appears that over time that's actually growing, that there are more colleges and schools with whether they're club activities or NCAA activity, it appears that there are more. And I know more people that have 
positions and are making careers out of it. It's just like his right. niece, but uh, uh, um, McKenzie Lance, um, she's right. married now. You know, th- that next generation, those Correct. are other career options, even what absolutely. you're doing. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. I and, and any level, anything you can do to, you know, like you're saying, to bring more people to what we do, I think it's, I think it's good. Uh, well, it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think obviously it depends on who's actually, who's actually doing it. You know, some, hopefully I'd, I'd like to think that we're all bringing them to us. Uh, you know, there's, there may be a few somewhere that are pushing them away, but hopefully not too many. Right. No, I, I agree for any industry to stay alive. <laughs> right. You, you right. have to. Uh, yeah, right. well, in in well, the sports world, I think that that's an interesting one because the entire modern civilization culture is changing in all those forms, and all the sports are having that same. I don't care if it's golf or basketball or tennis, and I mean just just look, pickleball didn't even exist, you know, right. ten years ago. Right. It's now on television. Um, right. Snowboarding didn't exist twenty years ago. It's now an Olympic sport. You can go down that whole list of right. stuff. Um, and, and how do you get the next generation involved is, is a big one. Um, yeah. and I think in our world, in our country, um, that's one that we haven't paid much attention to. And I think that it's past time to, but, and that's why I enjoy these conversations at the college level. Right. Um, because even when I went to school, college, the equestrian, I went to, couple ag schools but they weren't they were organized very different so those things are newer in today's time which i think is very positive yeah yeah i i think i think you know like we've talked about we talked about the other night there's there's any number of different situations and and things that are bringing people to the industry and i i think i would welcome all of them i think the more the better that's good (laughs) yes Yes, without a doubt. And we're going to get to those. Well, we're going to move on to reigning a little bit. Since more than half the current membership has not been around that long, and when we talk about people, even talking about um, not only your dad, you know, I mean, I used to work a lot with your dad, Bart, uh, Mike, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and he was one of the best judges we had in those days and times. He was phenomenal. And, and a horse trainer and a horseman and... Um, you know, I've made reference to, uh, rugged lark. Um, he was highly instrumental in some Mm -hmm. of those great horses. Um, a lot of half the membership of the current reigning membership has not been around that long. So when we make those references, we were talking about Dale Wilkinson, even Bob Anthony, um, hall of famer. Yes. Um, but we're close to that spot where, and I don't know if it's, good or bad i think it's natural other than um which is the spot of growth and forward movement when the current active group doesn't know that much about history so my question comes around because reigning was founded on three very simple principles good ground good judges good persons Mm -hmm. and now in our lifetime Mm -hmm. we all kind of represent the second year into the third generation of Rainers coming through this thing, they're now working hard on the purse levels, which I think is phenomenally healthy. And we'll talk about economics as well. Um, but my first, my big question coming from you, 
is how important is it? And especially because you manage um, Raining History 101, which is a huge Facebook mm-hmm. group. It's one of the largest ones out there, I think. You got over 15,000 people involved in that, right? I I don't know what the number is now. Um, it, it's up it, there. It's been, it was, it's crazy. It's crazy how many people um, are in that group and kind of partake in it and and enjoy it. It, it really started as a, as very much uh, a social experiment on my part. I, uh, you know, you know, we know a lot of the same older people and everybody's always talking about Willowbrook and all the old shows and all these things. And I don't know, it's six or seven years ago, I kind of discovered these Facebook groups and I, I was riding or something one day and I thought, man, I could, I could start one of those groups and just see how many people are actually interested in it. See how many people would actually enjoy it. And I was thinking, you know, a couple hundred people. Yeah, exactly. I was (laughs) laughing about that because you, well, you watched the, you watched the Snowblin, the Snowblin episode, I think. Right. Right. And we, we had that, you know, we were talking about Dale and I said, we need to, we need to make sure that we're clear on this because a lot of people don't even know who Dale Wilkinson (laughs) is. Right. Right. And it's like the girls over there, you know, you go over there and you're, you're coaching and telling them and you start telling stories about, you know, I mean, and I'll say something like, you know, Bill Horn and they'll look at me like, right. I'm from area 51. Right. Right. They have no idea. Right. It's like, well, you might've heard of him, but you know, right. It's crazy. Times times are changing. Right. So, so how important is it that we spend time, share history, move it forward. And you were talking about, um, the history 101 group. So, and what you've kind of learned. I mean, like I said, I started off as an experiment for me just to see how many people would be involved in it. How many people would actually be interested in it. I was surprised when there got to be like a thousand that shocked me. Um, shortly after I'd started the group, I was at the rain and fraternity that year. And, uh, having a conversation with Joe Schmidt and, and we were talking about it. It it was like the group was in its infancy. And I said, how many, how many of our fraternity finalists, not how many of the membership, how many of the fraternity finalists that are going to go in the arena on Saturday night, know who Bill Horn was or Bob Anthony or Dale Wilkinson. And, and I would bet not half of them did maybe not even close to half. And, and when you're talking about the entire membership, not knowing that's one thing, but when you're talking about the, you know, supposedly the top of our, the top of our sport, I mean, that's kind of a different situation. Um, so it became more apparent to me that something like that needed to happen. And, uh, I had already started it and, uh, kind of encouraged some different people. Bonnie Silva got involved in it and posted a lot of great old pictures and art articles and things and, I believe that a whole lot more assistant trainers and trainers that would never say anything or never ask any questions to anybody face to face really, you know, kind of started picking up on it and looking at it and reading all about the old days and all these things. So I think that's pretty important. You know, you talk about why the NRHA was formed and, you know, the good, the money and the good ground and the judging. Yes, those were very important. But I specifically remembered Bob saying one of the big reasons they started the reigning fraternity, they wanted to put enough money in it 
to encourage people to leave their horses in training long enough to get the damn horse trained. Right. 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 So make it pay good enough that someone would leave their horses in training long enough to finish the job. Right. Because at the time, people would just send their horse for a couple of months and you'd ride it and it'd do something and they'd take it home. Right. So that's not a commonly known part of the equation. But at the time, I think that was a pretty, that was a measurable, measurable part of the equation of why they, you know, why this whole thing got started the way it got started. Um, so I think that's important to note when we start looking into the future and, you know, where are we going to go from here? I think we have to remember that we need to encourage trainers to train horses that are broke at the end of the deal that are nice horses for people to go ride. You know, that's the reason, one of the reasons they wanted, you know, the situation back in the day with the rain of fraternity, put enough money in it so that it would, so obviously they could pay some bills but it would encourage the owners to leave the horse in training long enough to get finished. Right. You know, the idea of a finished horse was the, was the end result. Right. 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 So yeah, I, I think sometimes that gets lost on, on people. You know, you talk about prize money and that's important. Right? Definitely. But the idea of having a finished trained reigning horse at the end of that fraternity year was was a key part of the whole thing in the beginning. And I think it's probably still should be today. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it wins any money or not, is it a nice horse? Can somebody go ride it around? I don't know. Mm. Right. 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 Jody talks about that a lot. And I hear you when I was active on the professional side, because having the finished product is ultimately what they were paying for. And and yes, if it wasn't any money, that was just a side. That was a side benefit. Right. 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 If it, yeah, if it could pay some of its bills along the way, that was a side. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. No, that's that's how much many things have changed across that stuff. But it'll take us to economics. Um, I'm going to have Travis pull up because I want to show you real quick. Um, we've got a two year graph and it's been updated now, uh, which is to date. It was, you know, published December 7th. This is the money earnings in category one through 10 for the last two years in the sport of reigning. And so if you two would think back, you know, 25 years from now, and you two both hauled for world titles. So Mm -hmm. you know what this is like as well as anybody. But the point to this is, and you got in 2023, I'm using round numbers, 30% increase over 2022. This is the top 20, it's the top 10, and the orange the orange bar to the far right on both those graphs is the 20th spot. And I just did that for relative purpose. So that, you know, mm-hmm. the, the 20th top money earner for the year in the sport of reigning is now, you know, they're, they're doing six figures, 113,000 last mm-hmm. year and 144,000 this year. That's, that's like, right. hu- that's huge. Right? Right. It is. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I mean, it's part like of it. Money is, it's, in, it's, in, it's incredible. Well, part of that, part of the bigger question is one is, is it sustainable? Is it going to be, because if it is, then you see more financial economic incentives from careers and lifestyles and 
business and there's more opportunities for people to enter the horse world and make careers and lives out of it, which is different than just a hobby or an activity, um, which is what all three of us have done. Right. We've just done it in different forms, right? Right, right. Bart, where do you where do you absolutely where do you see us? Do you do you see it? Where do you see it going? I mean, I I think the money at the top end is awesome. I think it shines a a beaming bright amazing wonderful light on the top end of the sport and i think that is that is strong in bringing people to the sport i also think that we need to keep in mind that we need to um recognize excellence at every level of the sport in other words there are you know there are the top the top 10 riders the top 20 riders. I don't know how many horse trainers we have in the NRHA anymore, but that's 20 of them. Right. So that's cool. But what about the other, you know, 300 or 400 or I don't, I don't know how many we have, but there's, there's a lot more that aren't on that list that, that are successful, hopefully, and are doing things and creating excellence at their own levels. And I think if we can, you know, somehow continue or or expand on recognizing that, I think that is huge in uh, the forward part of our sport, you know, looking forward into the future. Um, there are excellence there. Like I said, there's excellence at every level. Yes. You know, there's excellent rookie horses. There's excellent limited non-pro horses. There's excellent limited open horses, you know? Yep. So I love that. I, you know, I was, I was, everybody was kind of talking bad about the run for a million the first year. I loved it. I mean, we went, we enjoyed it the very first year. Everybody was skeptical. I think it was huge. It was awesome. I think it is, has been huge for the sport. We're going to try to go to the American. I want to see that. I want to be there, feel it, see what's happening, you know, yep. on the grounds. Yep. Um, I think that all that stuff is unbelievable, but we can't lose sight of the fact that there is excellence at different levels of the sport. You you bring up a very good point, and I agree with you, and I'm going to give you a piece. First, let me give you a simple number, because you're talking about 15 to 17% of the membership is listed as a professional. So the answer to your question, when we look at a top 20 list, are they the same top 20 last year and this year? The answer is no. You got, I don't know exactly what the number is, but over half of it is, it's a right. different shuffle. The rest of your question, right. according to the, membership numbers and those that are listed as professionals you got about 1700 um listed professionals as of 2022 i don't have 2023 numbers so that's, that's rough a, that's amazing to me that's a lot higher number than i thought it would be that's good so, well there you go so that's part of that answer and yes but i would i think your terminology on excellence in all the different levels is 100 percent applicable including officiating and it's one of the struggling right. areas that in because excellent at the green level would be a different form of excellent than excellent at the fraternity finals and we've got to teach ourselves yes. how to implement that way better 
for the benefit of competition and all of those involved. Would you somewhat agree? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely, <laughs> I agree. A thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, anyways. Yeah, uh, we have to... To, to make this a viable thing, you know, for all the people coming in, it has to be transparent. It has to be, they have to, it has to be a broad base. You have to create situations where, like I said, you, you recognize people for what they can do at their level, you know, through the judging, through the whole, you know, the whole situation, mm -hmm. just the spotlight. I mean, it's awesome. The spotlight on the, you know, on the top 20 riders, like I said, but can we shine a little light on somebody else every now and then? <laughs> well, the answer would be yes, but here as, it comes. As an industry or as a, as a sport, right? Well, well, I would, I would pose this question because how do the first part of that question is how do other sports shine lights on the stepping stones in advancement in their industry? That's the bigger question that you're making reference to. And, and wholeheartedly, right. uh, you know, levels of achievement. How do you shine the light and provide rewards for each of the levels of achievement, wherever you kind of, whatever level you achieve. Right. We're asking right. the same, we're asking our own mother governing body to do it all. I question us now right. on one, can they do it all? And then two, which appears not, and two, would be well it would it would be starting to open the door and look at it differently so that are there other ways by which to get that achieved and you can use other sports college ncaa is not the same as nfl or or mbl or nhl or right. any of the rest of them they're all right. chronological steps so I, I i say that in all due respect because in advanced cowboy disciplines i think that's part of what we're faced with holistically as an industry and and if we all collectively would start to put some resources and brain power into it you could you could probably do a much better job than if you just haphazardly let it unfold however it's going to do i just pose that as a right big one yeah i i agree i i think you know nrha obviously you know we push for the fraternity and, and, and we push for these higher events. And like I said, I, I think that's awesome, but I think there could be, you know, they've kind of taken away the incentives for the affiliates and taken away different incentives for the lower levels. And for people that, that, that kind of support the NRHA, you know, I think we're all thankful for the NRHA that, you know, it's, it's given us a, a, a way to make a living for all these years. Um, but we pay for that. Yeah, you know, like we pay them to be able to promote the sport that the NRHA is supposed to promote. We promote it, and we right. pay them for that for that opportunity to promote it for us and them. So I don't know. I mean, you know, we can go down a lot of rabbit holes here, but I, I think you know the bottom line is I think we we need to make sure that we that we recognize you know all the middle and lower levels of the sport that makes it seem more valid i think to people coming in that maybe see those top 20 riders or the top 10 riders as something that is absolutely unattainable 
And if I can't get to that point, why would I start yeah. down this road? Right. Right. You know? Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Jody, you want, well, and I, I, I'll just throw, I'll throw something in here too. And it's like, I, I, I feel like, you know, I was, talk about somebody when when you've got one leg on either side of the fence you know i mean i bitch pretty loudly about that i i agree wholeheartedly but you know we all understand that that board of directors brian has been the president of this association i've served on it three (laughs) different times and i i it's the board of directors that decides the direction the industry is going to go i mean they're the ones that say we're gonna we're gonna pay three hundred fifty thousand to the futurity winner and So, and I'm going like, you know, that's nuts because I, I personally don't believe it's sustainable and we'll get into that a, a little bit later, right. just my personal opinion. But I also shouldn't be bitching too loud because I don't have my hand up in the air saying, look, I want to go back on that board of directors again and try and help right. this thing because right. Lord knows it was a chore. And every time I served on it, I swore I would never do it again. And right. then I would go back again, right? I said, okay, I'm right. not, not going to do this again. So, I mean, it's 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 uh it is a catch-22 to be on the board and and to be in any of those positions i i i completely understand yeah and it is so it's but that's that's where those decisions come from excuse me brian go no that's true but bart's been involved at the affiliate state level that kind of stuff how many affiliates organizations are in florida how many you got three or four uh we have two in florida and then the one the dixie Dixie Reigning Horse Association thing in Georgia. That so we have three within you know well, a couple reaching hundred distance. miles of here. Right, within reaching distance. Right, right. right. Um, and right. so it, it's it's similar, just at the at those levels. Right. Where I bring up right. the question, there's a couple pieces because the NRHA where the NRHA gets itself. It, I, I don't even know the best way of saying it. And I'm trying to say it with all due respect for all the reasons that you just alluded to. But it's a unique organization, and it's now finding itself in this unique position that with awareness, now by the numbers, our growth hasn't shifted much. Mm -hmm. Here's what shifted. Because our current leadership has redefined growth by entries. And in our time, when the three of us were showing reigning horses every year all year you're talking about the ratio of horse to entry at a given reigning in our time was one to one to two two tops it's now 11 Mm -hmm. which means the average horse at a Mm -hmm. the average reigning horse goes to a horse show it's being entered 10 to 11 times that's true and it's based off nrha's own numbers of unique horses that are out showing and the amount of entries because they're counting entries and the amount of entries are going up mm-hmm. but membership is relatively status quo over the last eight to ten years you got about ten thousand in the north american you got about five thousand international that's what they're doing and they've been trying to sort out that european north american and keeping everybody on a fair measurable field that's that's where our industry has been and then in the last three to four years up come the guarantee to the purses for all the logical reasons and you now have outside influences pressing our industry the north american performance horsemen at teton ridge and what they're doing with a Mm -hmm. cowboy major event Run for the million, without a doubt. I was at the first one, too. I remember crossing paths. I remember seeing you, Bart. Um, And 
for the same reason. I I wasn't going to miss it. Are you kidding? I, shoot, I live out here, so it's like it's yeah. next door. Right. Um, but now, and then you put all the breeding programs and you put 100X and what they're doing, and I'm not sure where they're going, but they're going to put on four major aged events, three in in North America and one in Europe next year. So from the private sector and show That's production. That's the plan. Yeah. That's their plan. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, right. I, I, I hear you. But if you, if, you, if you read those scenarios and the point to that question then becomes because, and Jody and I have talked about this and we see it, in aged events, in building reigning horses, there is a very distinct three, three groups of high-level horses, three-year-olds, fraternity horses, four-year-olds now, mm-hmm. and what we call derby horses, five and sevens. Those are three distinct groups mm-hmm. of great horses. You can look at the industry, and I would tell you there's two or three, could be four groups, of active people in the sport of reining. And that's what you're talking about, Bart. And now comes right. how, do you, how do you provide an organization of services that you pay for that services the channels up and down? That's the bigger conversation, and we've been trying to pick away at that in different forms. So, but that's exactly what you're talking about. And so are there different ways by which to do that? And the answer would be yes. And this would lead us to another one because we just had a conversation with John Snowblin talking about officiating. And if you haven't watched that show, you need to, Bart, especially being a historian that you are. Well, I watched it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, an independent, and here's my point, because all it does is amplify a different way. An independent, and John brought this up, two things. One, change the system not just make it better, change it. Um, Mm -hmm. And two was create work with some other disciplines and create an independent officiating business that that's what they would do was educate, find, recruit, educate, manage officiating for advanced horse sports. And so that's all very fascinating Mm -hmm. stuff. And is any one of our organizations. Absolutely. So, have at it yeah i i think i think uh obviously john um was ahead of his time when he created you know with the help of several others or a few others i don't know depends on the story the (laughs) the the judging system that we have today um i uh I think that was uh, an unbelievable amount of foresight on his part and their parts to, to, to head that way. Um, I think it's been a great system and I still think it's a great system. It is, but I agree with what he said. I don't know exactly how he said it on the podcast, but I think, I think we need to start looking ahead another 20 or 30 years. Um, whatever that answer is, I don't know, but, but it seems like we, we get in a position where we're where we're either working behind the eight ball or we're just working to fix the problem that's right in front of us instead of you know shooting ahead 10 or 15 years and maybe fixing a lot of problems that might come come about and let's you know maybe maybe change big instead of just changing little bits at a time i i don't know i don't know what that answer is but i I think it's worth talking about Mm-hmm. I, I do too. And I think that 
I, I think that at, that's industry wide, not just the judging program. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, right. yeah, exactly. it's, it's for, it's for everything. I, you know, I, I think, for, you know, first of all, for years I had a great stable full of clients and they would do whatever I would ask them to do. If I wanted to go buy a good horse, they would buy it for me. And I was, that's not the direction I went because, you know, as I told you before that it was a non-pro, a non-pro barn and, and everything that I bought was I'd show them and had a great deal of success, but they're for right. a non-pro rider. Right. So, right. and I, we used to go to shows and, you know, we'd have, you know, all these, hell, they were over 50, right? Because they could, that's right. the time in their life that they could afford it. And they could also right. take the time off. They, the money was right. made and, and they did it because they wanted to have fun and they, they loved right. what they were doing. And, and show size now has got so far out of whack from the standpoint of I'd have guys that, and I'd say, okay, well, you, you're going to, you're going to draw and show at 11 o'clock tonight. And they go, no, we're not. <laughs> no, 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 we're not. Yeah. I mean, scratch. Right. I'm not going to yeah, show at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I'm going to go drink wine and right. we're going to have some fun. And I, yeah. over and over, I would hear, you know, because I always had the Tulsa shows, which was our affiliate final. So I couldn't go to the select world show, which part of my people wanted to go to, which was an Amarillo at the time. Right. So, mm -hmm. and all I would hear over and over again was the select world show was the most fun anyone ever had. Cause all the people, you know, they were the same age. They, the show was right. done at five o'clock. They, they opened up the, opened up the wine bottles and they were having dinners and they just had a blast. And right. now suddenly AQHA, I think probably it's financially, but they've moved, you know, the select to the world show here in Oklahoma city. And so that that's gone. So we're not right. perhaps the only one that's lost something like that. Right. So right. I, I, I get the fact that, you know, everything is now about how much money there is and, and the shows are going two weeks and you know, it's right. yeah, entry levels where you say, Brian, they're being shown 11 times and seven of those are schooling classes. You right. know what right. I mean? They're entered, they're entered seven times for paid warmups right. and, and right. you know, obviously, money's not the object because I've seen guys come and show to me in a raining where it's a three hundred fifty dollar entry fee and they're schooling. You right. know, so right. it's a it's a different it's a different world. But there's still plenty of room for those type shows where people can still enjoy themselves and even especially at that starter level where they're not being absolutely killed. And 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 we're and you know, as far as the officiating, absolutely. Like I said, we have to we have to let everyone know that they can recognize excellence at every level. But as far as, you know, the scheduling and all the things with the horse shows, I mean, we've all done that, you know, shown at two o'clock in the morning and three o'clock in the morning. And, you know, like you said, I think a lot of people don't want to do that anymore. And it's another one of the things, you know, we're, we're basically in the service industry and we're asking these people to, to buy these horses and, you know, pay us a decent amount of money to go to a horse show and haul them down the road and all these, we better be able to make it fun for them on some level, somehow, regardless of how they do in the horse show, they, if they're not having a good time, what are they you know, doing? yeah. What are they doing? You know, like us, if, if we'll go to a nice steakhouse and pay for a nice steak and have a drink and the, you know, the whole deal. But if the waiter's a jackass, you know, if, if they treat us bad, we're not going to go there right. no matter how good right. the steak was. Right. And, and you can deal with a tough steak every now and again, if, if they're nice to you and they make you feel at home, that's what, you know, the future of our sport, longevity of the horses, make everybody feel like they're a part of something, mm -hmm. you know, right. gotta have a good time. We gotta I, enjoy it. I, I agree with you both where I, 
challenge us collectively as an industry because, and I do get to say this and I say it, I do respect because we, the members, if you're a member in good standing, you actually own a piece of these organizations, all of them, every one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so which means they work for us period. The members, right. they're all right. membership driven nonprofit orgs. And so the rest of that piece is, looking at it differently and horse show production is a big one and florida is a unique place because you guys have as many if not maybe more now and yes you cross the paths between private and public sector you know where jody lives you know but i call it the i-35 corridor between fort worth you can actually go down to waco from waco to tulsa there's a lot of facilities so so facility and right. venues venues create the opportunity for show production and where i'm going with this whole thing right. is we've got to look at putting on horse shows differently to meet the needs of the exhibitors in the groups that they're needing it and it's not all the same and we've got mm-hmm. to stop doing it right. the way we used to that's my right point on that one right can you can you have i mean go ahead we've we've pushed for years you know down here to have you know like you guys have been to the florida classic in all of its you know at one time or another in all of its uh, uh existences over the years and and that has grown to be if not the biggest one of the biggest shows east of the mississippi and it has been you know right on that line for decades now um i think you know we pushed for years about having two larger shows in this region that that cater to that to that kind of a horse show you know where people come from all over the place and you know a lot of money and all these things and then also have you know maybe once a month or eight or ten shows a year weekend horse shows yeah like the weekend weekend horse shows maybe a jackpot on saturday and an nrha day on sunday you know the thing's over with by six o'clock and everybody can go to dinner or they can have a party at the thing you know like i said let people have fun and and when they choose to go to a bigger show we'll go to the bigger show but you you can't expect i don't i think it's a fallacy to it to expect everyone to you know, go to those shows and those are the only shows they're going to go to as a professional, as a, you know, as a trainer, as an industry, you know, as an affiliate, uh, I think you have to, you have to, like you're saying, cater to both ends of the, of the deal. Yeah. I, you know, I think Brian is, you know, he's the one that's, you know, for ever. And it's, you know, said, you know, the high end, I mean, the people that come and watch a reigning have, have already proven that they, if they're going to see a lot of, if there's going to be a lot of money spent, they want to watch excellence. That's why the fraternity finals have a big crowd. That's why the run for a million, right. but right. you know, the rest of the time, the, the, the stands are empty, right? I mean, there's, right. there's nobody there. Right. So right. it's, I, I think, and, and it's as much, if you structured something for that, you know, Brian has always said we need, you know, excellence is that's 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 what will bring in the crowd. That's what we need to see. But we don't need to have the affiliate shows at the Adequan when the Futurity's going on because the Futurity's so big that you right. know sometimes those non-pro people aren't getting the attention they deserve if you're trying right. to get three-year-olds ready and that kind of stuff. And it's, right. I mean, it it makes perfect sense. But you also have to understand that 
you not only have to get around the board of directors, you have to get around the horse trainer that wants the mileage and wants the day charge of the 30 head that right. he can bring to the horse show. Not just, right. you know, so it's a, I guess it is a, uh, it is a, uh, a Rubik's cube of issues. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can turn things and twist things. And I don't know what the answer is. Um, specifically, I don't know that there are any specific answers, but I, I do know that at the at the local level, at the affiliate level, I think the hardest the hardest thing for for the for the affiliates is to is to be able to afford to put on a show and make it affordable for the exhibitors. And and you know, in this day and age everything's getting to be more expensive. We all know that. And and then the level of sponsorship and who wants to who wants to give a bunch of sponsorship money to a horse show that has no one sitting in the stands, you know? So there's a lot of different ways to, to look at things. Um, I think the NRHA could, like I said, they used to have ways they would kind of give back to the, to the affiliates, you know, with different incentives and things that maybe would make it a little more affordable to the, to the local shows and, you know, they decided to not do those things anymore and they've, you know, kind of increased the take and decreased the paybacks in, in different ways. So, you know, I think there's a lot of different incentives that could come back into play that they used to have that would help some of those situations. Um, but just like all of us, I mean, the, the little shows, the big shows, I think they all kind of struggle to pay for the things and to give that money away and to have those, you know, to have those shows and, you know, like the fraternity, I mean, the trainers are relying on the, the people to charge the mileage to get to the horse show. Right. But I think, uh, the NRHA is relying on, you know, a lot of entries in the Adequan arena to buy a lot of stalls that they didn't sell 10 years ago, you know? Oh, well, for years well, you had to be in the top three or the top five to qualify to go to the affiliate finals, and now all you have to do is show. Right, you have to go to two <laughs> or three get a shows. Score. Right, that yeah, would drive score, me. To, you know, no, I hear you, but you're the the answer on how do you take the and I was a proponent of this when I was back on the board and an officer because in order to give the affiliates, I always wanted to make, I wanted to create a different structure for affiliate champions for the year. And could the NRHA own and produce mm -hmm. that in a different format? Yes, but it would be a standalone program and get it out of the fraternity. And I'll get a lot of hate mail for right. this one because I'm not a big fan of non-pros riding three-year-olds either. So my, my 20 cents was, do I, my 20 cents for the industry was make the three-year-old fraternity an open fraternity and that's what you make that event. Does it turn into a two-week event? No, it doesn't. Because if you only got focused on that part, have a standalone affiliate championship and how you get them there is another conversation. You can do that on your own. And the non-pros mm -hmm. should have been moving to the four-year-old and derby stuff. And that's where I would have put all that emphasis that's just me mm -hmm. and, and having come through it. Right. The point to that story is, can you look at it and do it differently and service each of those sectors accordingly? Non-pro aged event riders and what they're after is different than the pro riders. And I hear you guys on trying to take two 
you know, two or three rigs and all the day fees and the hauling fees. But guess what? The business guys will figure out business accordingly. So I see that as like the lowest issue because if, if, if the industry is healthy and the activity is healthy and prices of horses are healthy and you're breeding more horses and training more horses. And I haven't heard anybody in the horse mm -hmm. world in the last 15 years say that the, that their barns were empty. I haven't heard anybody in 15 right. years tell me that hasn't been true. So, right. so they'll, f the business will take care of itself. It truly will. If we looked at, our market, which is our shows and how we put them on and what we do. And I say that holistically across, it's not just to the advanced Western disciplines. I say it across all the modern horse show stuff because they try it's built on volume, which is how many stalls are going to rent. It's built on two simple principles. How many right. entries are going to pay across right. the show office and how many stalls are you going to sell? That's what is, well, right. change it. Can you, can you afford to go right. to a nice venue at a more affordable rate? Yes, you can. Um, in our sport, it's called added money. And, you know, they've been using the judges' right. fees for 20 years to balance the books for the amount of added money. Well, guess right. who paid the price? The judges. Right. So, anyways. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of different things you can do that you could do. Um. I think all of those things require, uh, you know, thinking really outside of the box and and forward thinking uh, on the part of the board and all the people who control the NRHA and all the affiliates and you know all the trainers and all the things and and if nothing else, I think we have proven ourselves to be, uh, you know, horse trainers in general. We we like to stay in the box. You know, I think right. we like to do what's reasonably safe and comfortable. And um, I think that's hard for a lot of a lot of people to go, I, you know, to get far outside that box and try to see things from from other points of view. That's a pretty, pretty big ask, I think. I, you know, I, I, I hear I, you. I, I, I'm, and I hear you when you talk about people or horse people in general. I disagree with you when you talk about right. Rainers, because we always, we had nothing to lose. And I would tell you as a Rainer group, and I'm extremely proud of this, we moved forward faster than about anybody. That's true. Um, and, between... and you know that because you know, here, I'm going to, I'm going to tie this back in. You know that because you know the history of where we came from. Right. That's correct. <laughs> and some of us do, and some of us don't. So some of us don't realize why we did things the way we did or why they did things the way they did in the beginning and what got us here and possibly what could get us to go forward, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, no, like, like we talked about, Snowblin talked about the, 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 the way they in introduced that judge's system is they basically turned the whole system upside down inside of a year or two. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the industry... I mean, can you imagine trying to do that today <laughs> oh, well yeah. i would tell you there's would, i would yeah. i would i would tell you there's a couple that i think that are doing it in their own form run for the millions one um it it, it is yeah and and it's it's not standing and you know still where that came and from? It, the american performance it, horseman it is came a second. from outside the industry correct they came from outside the industry they have no affiliation with the nrha whatsoever <laughs> 
right. when they did all that. Right. They had to ask permission from the NRHA to be allowed to do what they were doing. Correct. Correct. But that's my point. It can be done. <laughs> and the right. American right. the American performance horseman is another one. Right. Yeah. And it, and like I said, it requires forward thinking outside the box. Yep. And and some vision for the future. Yep. Looking forward. It has to come from outside. It has to come. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not forget a great deal of money. Right. And a great deal of money. <laughs> and a great deal of money. Let's not forget that. That's the smallest so, part of the whole thing, Jody. Come on. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's yeah. It's now. That's 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 for great. That's great conversation. And it's a. You know, sometimes it's the, it's the people still though, you know, I guess we talk about it being self-serving and, and I'll just be brief so we can move on. But it's like, I, you know, I, like I'd get, I, I'd get a, because if I chaired the judges committee, someone would call me and they'd say, okay, well, we're an affiliate right here and, and we want to have our futurity when we always have it. But the state next to us is they're wanting to have a futurity. And now that they want the same dates that we have, because there's, you know, so many miles between us and it's like, you know, you know, you're two small affiliates and you're in a pissing match and why can't you guys work together and have a, one futurity together instead of trying to have two separate ones. But, right. you know, I mean, it's like age old problems and, and I don't, I don't know if that will ever go away. I, I, I've, I've been directly involved with those, with those a few different times with, with the, you know, the so-called pissing matches between affiliates. And I mean, we've had our own down here and, and I have been involved, like I said, directly on, on trying to quell them and you get everything worked out and, and everybody agrees on something. And then, you know, six months later, somebody hears that somebody said something or somebody did something and the whole thing goes right back out the window. Here, I, I, I have lobbied the NRHA for years and, and was on the affiliate committee for about 15 minutes um, and tried to convince <laughs> them of my thoughts and realized I wasn't getting anywhere yeah. um, of, you know, not approving all these shows right on top of each other. And I know Brian has a different opinion on that, but, um, I don't know what the answer to that is, but again, uh, there's so many different ways to go. Um, the good news is, is that we have these problems with, you know, too many horse shows and too much going on and how do we manage it all? That's the, that's the best news of the day, I guess, Right, right. that we have no, to even have these conversations. Yeah. Right. No, I, I you, you, yes. Having the conversations is a big piece. Um, the importance of understanding and knowing our history. I, I happen to believe that it mm -hmm. is valuable um, because that makes looking forward actually easier. That's, that's right. my own view on that. So, and I think and, you and when a, it comes time, like we talked about, go ahead. No, I, I, I think the, the looking forward, is something that we all as people and horse people have to um, be more aggressive about because it's easy to get stuck in the rut and stopping for a minute right. and, and looking forward and thinking forward as opposed to where we are right now is the one that takes a little bit of work. Um, and, and, and then right. it's the rest of the resources. So what, what were you going to say? Right. Well, I don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> um, we I mean, we can, like I said, we can, we can go so far down the rabbit hole. We can't find our way back out, but you know, like I said, I think it's good that 
it's good that we can have these discussions. And uh, the one thing that I liked that John said is, you know, the, the bad thing about getting a, a committee or, or the board and some of those situations in a room is when you get the same bunch of people in a room repeatedly, no matter what their ideas were to begin with, they all begin to think the same. And, and I think that's a, a little bit dangerous. So I think, you know, we need to try to keep in mind other people's point of view and other people's ideas and, you know, try to exercise some of those. Yeah. Well, it's, it's right. our industry. And part of that is this one's come up several times and I've actually been questioning myself um, because have I been wrong here calling the reigning industry an industry? Is it really an industry? Um, as opposed, that's a good question. I, well, and and we're wanting, you know, I just watched the NCHA finals the other night, and and I thought they did a phenomenal job. But here's the point: they were talking about how family it all was, and it made me think of which the NCHA isn't that much different than the NRHA and the NRCHA, and so all of us as nonprofit membership horse orgs um, are very similar. And, but it truly made me think about, are we really a professional, sophisticated industry, or are we just a very large, extended, slowly growing family? Horse. And, so, horse club. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Big horse club. Yeah. And we got self-interest, I, and I we're know. spent, and we're circulating our own money. That's what we're doing. Right. I think that's. What do you think, Jody? Yeah, absolutely. There's no question about that. We've we've had this discussion before, and I, I you know, we and I, like I said, I, I we've we've had great conversation. I don't want to get too far off the beaten track, but you know, we talk about sustainability, and we talk about, you know, you've heard me say that. I mean, I, I love the prize monies. I think that's great. I'm with you. I think it's great for the industry, but we are a giant jackpot, right? I mean, we right. run in our own money, our full enrollment programs, our, and I, you know, I, I, if you go to the if you go to the Kentucky Derby's website, um, you know, you see, you know, obviously the thoroughbred racing's, you know, popular throughout the world, but I mean, you'll see sponsors from, doesn't matter if it's Coca-Cola, Rolex, Mercedes, you know, outside of the horse industry itself. And, and here you come, you know, to NRHA and, you know, I mean, and we just keep beating the same old people up over and over and over again to donate right. money because that's we we expect you to do it because you like the sport. And, you know, geez, right. we need 100,000 bucks. And, you know, if you're making bridles or splint boots or, but you know, it's in the box right. and that's just where it stays. Right. And and I feel like at some point in time we had that conversation. What happens if one of those guys that gave us $100,000 every year dies or their right. kids don't want to continue to do that? Then right. then where are we? So, uh, you know, and Brian and I have had extensive discussion about that. So is it sustainable? Um, yeah, I, 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 I can't see it. I can't see it continuing at the level that it is without some outside sponsorship money coming in from, from somewhere. So oh, just yeah, opinion, uh, personal. I, completely. I mean, uh, I, that's where you say, you know, are we an industry or are we a really big fancy horse club? Uh, you know, that depends on your, on your point of view. And, and I think it's pretty easy to say that, you know, we've, uh, uh, you know, we're the best at this and we're the best at that and we're the best at all these things. And, and, and we have grown and we have made leaps and bounds in the last 
you know, the last five years, the last 10 years, the last 40 years, all of it. Um, but we're not there yet. I don't think, and there's still a lot of distance to travel and, you know, we can talk about how wonderful it is that the fraternity winner got paid 350,000 this year. I think that's awesome. I, it's wonderful. Oh, it's, it's huge. Um, yeah. but where, but where, like, let's, let's talk about some stability and let's talk about like, yeah, how do we make this happen every year and how do we get it to 500,000 and how do we make sure the, the level one open guy gets, you know, 40,000 and, and can, you know, pay for his trip at least if he wins it. Well, you know, I I don't know what the answers are, but I think we really, really, really need to keep looking forward. You know, I, I hear you. Yes. Looking forward. And I would tell you a different way of looking at that. If you took the amount of money that is now available via competition purse money in the last two years, and looked at, but here's my point, because you got the top, you got twentieth this year, did one hundred and forty four thousand a year. Is that healthy? Yes, it is. Now the sustainability is keeping that pool of purse eligibility out there, but it's how you start to divvy it up and the leveling stuff, and that's a big one that Jody and I have been talking about. And I would tell you this, you know, this conversation at the affiliate level. And the aged event level is a very interesting one because are we really incentivizing people to enter our industry and then are they working their way up or are we just creating a bigger, bigger recirculating function? Um, Because that would go into sustainability, but it's a level one and two in the open side of the aged events. Because if you began to pay, it's not getting the fraternity champion to pay this is my opinion. Getting the fraternity champion to pay a half a million or a million, I would say that's not the goal mm-hmm. because those open riders at that level in a year's time, I don't know how many events they're going to, but it's somewhere between six and 10. They're doing a half million to three quarters mm-hmm. of a million. So the money's available. The real work would be how do you begin to pay and give the crown and attention and some of that stuff, but the money along with it, it's, it's in the level one and two, those new ones coming in and coming up, which is the same thing as how do you give affiliate recognition for achievements that they've got. And, and so that's where the, I will tell you the work is. And I will, and I'll play the devil's advocate here and, and, Sometimes they'll say, well, we can't give the level one and two too much money because then they just shoot right up and they're in the level four. And that's really a, you know, so that's what? really not good for them. So, yeah, it is. <laughs> if they win yeah. too much money, man, it just kicks them up and, are, you know, they you... need to stay, you know, huh? then they're out of. <laughs> and how <laughs> that's many. the argument. How... Or that's okay. one of the arguments. Okay. And how many college athletes are trying to be the number one draft picked in four Y? <laughs> that's the answer right. I get it. because if you're number one the contract's yeah. way higher period so the value right. so it's right. not that's not a bad thing and we're seeing it we're living right. it now I, I'm a, I, yeah. yeah yeah i i get it i think uh and 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 i think the other let's we'll, we'll go down maybe take a left in this rabbit hole and what about the what about the guys that are counting on the, those level one guys that are trying to count on their prize money to pay their bill 
you know, to pay their rent and to pay their mortgage and to pay their things, you know, are they, are they getting anywhere or, or should they be, or, you know, what should they be doing? Are, are they, are they headed in the right direction or should they do something different with their business? That's not really our place to say, I guess. So, right. Right. You know? Well, yeah, there's, like I said, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of, you know, you've heard me talk about this many times. We're talking about leveling or the same thing that we're talking about that level one, level two, level three rider. And everybody has this, everybody in the whole business and it's, and rightfully so because top 20 guys are there because they're fine horsemen and they're really good at what right. they do. But yes. it, it, the reason that they're where they are is because of the livestock that they're riding. And so the right. leveling needs to come from the horse standpoint, not from the rider standpoint, because there's a mm-hmm. hundred guys that can win the futurity if they've got the right that horse, horse. Right. but they may be a level two rider for 10 years because they'll never have one of those. Right. So right. anyway, that's, you know, that's just my opinion on the leveling it, you know, horse numbers. When you give, when you give top 20 guys, three head to ride, they're going to kick your ass when you've only got one. Right, that maybe right. can compete with them. So, right. it's a it's a different yeah, different thoughts, but yeah, some different yeah, issues. I think, yeah. uh, like like I said, I think I think it's good that I think it's good that we have to have these conversations to try to figure it out. Right. Yes. I think I think that's a Price that's a success. good thing that we're not sitting around going, man, this is terrible. What are we gonna do? Right. You know. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I like we are when we've talked about the. In, yeah, we've talked about those industry issues, right? So, I mean, are, are we getting better at it or are we just standing still? I mean, that's a question. I mean, you know, Brian's, you know, he's, he, you know, we talked about the drug rules. We've talked about the international versus domestic, amateur, non-pro, rookie, green rainer. Those are all subjects that we could have a different show on each one of those. But I mean, right. are, are, as our board of directors, are we doing enough? Brian, I would ask you this question too. Are, I mean, and, and, and not just you, Bart, but are we, are we doing enough? to try to remedy the situation or are we just letting it go by? And I mean, you know, I know that there's probably some more ways around this than just that, than just that board of directors. I mean, from the show management standpoint, we look at the hundred X, we look at, you know, the American, we know that those are tremendously successful in relatively short periods of time. So is that the direction that we need to keep going? I mean, to rely on the outside of NRHA or do we need to stay within NRHA to help us, in the directions that we need to go. You know, what I'm saying is that you remember a long time ago when the Derby was at St. Paul, which was my affiliate when I was living in Minnesota and you know, that, that affiliate, that North central affiliate. And you know, it was, you know, Sally Brown. She was like, you know what, we're going to have a limited non-pro class. Oh, there's a big stink about it. Right. And because there hadn't been one before. Right. And then, you know, or a limited open class, and then we're going to add a thousand dollars to it. Oh, you can't do that. I mean, everybody had a fit. Right. I mean, it was like, but outside the box thinking, and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, here we go. Now everybody does. it. So, and now it's normal. Yeah. Right. So do we have to rely on people outside of NRHA to steer us in the direction that we want to go? In other words, they didn't ask for approval. They just did it anyway. You know I think I mean? the answer like, to that, the answer to that's pretty obvious is, is, to me anyway. I think, I think yes, <laughs> you have to. But the the best things that have come along, at, in in you know at least in the last few years, have come from outside the NRHA. Outside, in my, of, in my yeah. opinion. So Brian, what's what what's your what's your thoughts on that from the standpoint of do, do you do you have to have approval to do what you to do what you want if it's a good idea. The answer is no. 
You do not have to have approval. It's whether or not you want it. What does, what does approval by any sanctioning body provide you? That's the answer. And so that's from a show production standpoint as far as what is it that you're after. In the horse show world, in the event world, and this is where the advanced cowboy disciplines are trying, they're, they're, they're in this phase. And the point is, from a, it's, it's from a horse show and moving into a sporting event. And we're, we're circulating and trying to figure that out. Run for the Million is doing it. The American Performance Horseman is doing it. 100X has got its own, but it's, it's a great merge of those two because it's a two-week massive event that is catering to it. You know, it's got all the other classes as well as this high focus on high purses and multiple age events. It's got fraternities, derbies, and, and, and four-year-olds. So our industry is is in that place circulating. I would tell you the answer is no. It's does it have to have a regulatory body? No, it does not. Why does it? Generally, it's for two simple reasons. One is for rules and regulations, all of them, which include officiating functions. And two, it's for insurance and liability functions. That is, which is a standardized function in how you're going to play the game. That is the big thing. But can you go, you know, Bart's down there in the heart of hunter-jumper world for the winter. There's a ton of non-sanctioned hunter-jumper stuff going on between, you know, North Florida and South Florida. And then there's USEF and FEI stuff that's all going to happen too, which are sanctioned and and it's about the standard. It's the standard by which a competition is going to happen. So that's that's the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, can our the rest of that question comes into being? What is the best role for the NRHA to continue to play? And I would say the lessons it learned through the FEI are a big one. Um, and I don't know who's listening to those lessons. But there's a lot of them there to be learned when you talk about the domestic versus international. And I would then say that those lessons are very applicable when you talk about affiliate versus aged event. And when you talk about why in the world would our discipline now want to go down the amateur path when we've got 9,200 active non-pros? That is a fascinating quest, but we're doing it, right? Which would put us, and yeah, I, well, the, the rest of that is that the cutters have had amateurs and non-pros for our lifetime, for 40 years. So they actually, it's, it's just another level of activity. That's what it is. Right. So did yeah, I, I, I think, uh, go ahead, Jody. No, I mean, I, 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 I agree. And, you know, I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm going back to, to the, you know, Brian said this many, many times, the, the, we, we all have valid points and, 
one of those things. Do you need approval? Do you not need approval to have that? We say, well, no, we don't because I mean, good things happen when you don't get approval and then people jump on board after they found out, well, hell was a good idea. We should have done that. And I, right. when I chaired the judges committee, I would say, we're doing it. I'd get argument and I say, Hey, if it doesn't work, we'll put it back, but we're going right. to do it. We're going to try this. The, the end gate camera was a big one. I got all kinds of grief about that. Now it's like, Oh God, we got to have that because you know, it helps right. us with our penalty application, but right. you have to, basically just beat people over the head with it sometimes to get the idea and it's like that one I didn't even ask for approval I mean Jeremy said well did you get approval I said oh hell yeah put it down there for me right I mean <laughs> I didn't you know I mean just went ahead and did right. it but so to Brian has said this many many times does can one organization do everything that we've talked about tonight I mean can one is there enough, and especially with volunteer people running the organization, in other words, I mean, that board of directors, you, you know, you're not getting paid for that. I mean, right. you know, I mean, it's like, hell, it costs money to be on the board of directors. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but so can one, and Brian, I'll put this question to you because you're the one that comes up with this question all the time, and that's a valid, <laughs> it's a, hell yeah, it's a valid point. Can one organization do it all, or maybe I should say, can one organization do it all structured the way that it's currently structured? The simple, the, the simple answer is no. In today's time, can one organization be all of it for all of it in our industry or discipline and all of those forces? And I would tell you no. And should we look at it very differently? Yes. And, and collectively, because, because again, and I've, I've been a large proponent of this, I see our industry in very distinct groups and there's two big ones. One, the affiliate level and two, the age event level. Those are two separate parts of the industry in our time. When all three of us were way more active, it was all the same. It's just which event we went to. That's yeah. the only right. So, yeah. so the simple answer right. is in today's time, can one organization be it all and do it all. And that answer is no. And I would tell you the FEI NRHA 20 year trial tells part of that tale. No, it can't. Um, and, and there's plenty of other examples that you can look at, but that's the answer. So now comes what could the NRHA branch out and create a structured format that, that subsidiaries would be doing some of those parts including an independent officiating system. You know, could the NRHA have a educational a recruitment, educational and management system for officiating Western disciplines? Yes, it could. And do it for cutters, cow horses, rainers, ranch riders, trail, whatever, you know, yes, it could do that. Would, would that be part of the structure and how we're doing things now with the NRHA? And the answer would be no, it'd be different. It, it, it could it be a subsidiary right. or could it be independent? Sure, I and I don't think that one's worse or better than the other. I I I mean, for my limited knowledge of you know NRHA board stuff and you know that level of executive board uh, management, I think um, that the NRHA could successfully manage the judging, the membership, and the record keeping easy clear i think those three things are pretty pretty cut and dry and then and and leave all of the other promotions and horse shows and the fraternity and the other things to to some 
other entity. I don't know if that's where you guys are going with some of this, but I think there's some things that they can do and do well without, I mean, we have the, the, uh, Oh, what am I trying to say? The, you know, they paid a lot of money for the, for the record keeping part of the website, the the Raider suite deal. I think, yeah, the database, that's what I was looking for. Um, I think that stuff is, is all there. You know, like you're saying, I don't know where, where you talk about controlling, maybe maybe too much control, maybe, uh, you know, maybe let, let people make their own minds up about other things. You know, I think someone needs to control or manage the judging system in whatever it's going to be, whether it's in its current state or, you know, like I heard you guys talking about a few weeks ago, the idea of... Uh, you know, like the NFL referees having, you know, regional sets of yep. officiating teams yep. that would judge shows. I, I mean, I, I'm i sure there's a lot of people that would go, oh, my God, that's a horrible idea. But I, I, I definitely think that that's, a, that's an, interesting, an interesting path to go down to, to at least talk about. Well, there's, that's a, there, there's, there's two parts to that part. One is there there's a economic, a business wall between officiating competition. And you've got to make that wall very clear in a sport, in a competitive sport. That's true. And it's already been proven. So that's not new news. And, and ours is very clouded. So the minute you get a wall in there and separate those, the more integrity is going to come to the sport. That's, that's fundamentally true. And then comes the rest of it. Because um, how he who wins, so goes everybody else. That's been the way it's right. been since the beginning of time. And is that going to change? No. So, right. so that's the consequence of having high integrity to competition. So then comes right. the rest of rules and regulations. And when you talk about event production, and here comes. And I'm not picking a side. I'm not trying to be judgmental i'm just identifying a weakness in all of our horse organization they're all guilty of this because they are record keeping regulatory bodies that belong to the membership that's what they set out to do i don't care if they're breed registries or competition registries they all got involved with show production and now you have a clouded space because you're also competing with yourself because when you talk about date sanctioning and putting on horse shows um, and licenses to do such and rules to run it by and all that stuff. And so my point to that would be, and, and I get it because how did we get where we got? Because the NRHA owned the fraternity. It was the only thing it did. It did the fraternity, but that was its first purpose after the, after running the fraternity was the importance of keeping records. That came second in right. the sequence. Does that make sense? Well, it's flipped right. because now your data, your data and your records is way more important than who owns and runs a fraternity. Yeah, I think I think the the very most important thing that the NRHA needs to do in the future is the whole database and the record keeping because that is, you know, yep, that's what people can look back on and look up and and see things about some of these horses you know, 
long after the stories of this horse could turn big or this horse could stop big or man, you know, whoever won the fraternity, you can go back and look at that information and, you know, decide what you want to breed to or decide what you want to own or, you know, any of those things. So I think that's a, that's probably one of the most, that, that should be a, a keystone in the whole deal for NRHA way more than show management for sure. Right. So that, that's all. I just bring up the obvious because that's, that's what's, and they're all blessings because we're, we're, we're pursuing right. success. And so how do you manage yes. and deal with success? You've got to, you've got to somewhat be able to look in the mirror and find your own weaknesses and then start to adapt. So anyways. Right. And, and again, you know, if you go back to the history of all of this, you know, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. All this stuff was done on a kitchen table somewhere in Ohio. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've come a long ways. Yes, we have. <laughs> maybe, maybe some of it has been forward thinking and some of it has been, you know, reactive thinking to the problem that was directly in front of us. Um, but we've come a long ways. I think there's, like I said, I think there's still a long ways to go. Yes. There is. And, you know, like I said, it's even from the judging standpoint, you've heard me say it's in the middle. And I think that's probably a that's probably a safe thing to say about about uh, the future of our industry, if that's what we're going to call right. it or the reigning. It's like, you know, we right. need forward thinking and we need to stay with some of the things that have worked for us. So it's like, right. yeah, but we can't you can't stay stuck in one spot. That's for sure. It if we concentrate on the, you know, the whole longevity of the horses, let's make some nice horses and, and make sure that's, that people can, you know, Get make on. a living as best they can doing that and promoting that. And, uh, and, uh, you know, just keep an eye on, you know, like I said before, those different levels of excellence through the thing, through the whole, all the classes and, uh, you know, everybody have a good time. That's all, you know, this, exactly. this is fun. This is, we're supposed to do this for fun. We are, but they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's a business. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. I've, I've had some, I've had a great time. It's like, I've, Brian, have you got something that you want to talk about here? No. That yeah, we haven't I, covered? Well, we could, we could, I think the three of us could probably write a book <laughs> or a couple of them. Um, right. Right. So and and I'm, I'll Nobody be questioning. Read it, but we can write the shit right. out of it. Right. right. Well, today's time <laughs> yeah. you can do it in audio, and they don't have to read it. You can just listen to it. <laughs> right. uh, exactly. So of course we could keep going, and we always kind of can. But no, I think we've hit it well. Bart, thank you for your time. Um, it's great to reconnect. Thank you guys. Um, yeah. it, it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure. We wish you, your family. Um, a very Merry Christmas and thank you so much for your time and your thoughts and insight. Yeah, same, same to you guys. I mean, I think this is a great thing you guys started doing here. And I mean, well, that's awesome. I think that the times that we live in where, you know, you can have things like this and people can, can agree and disagree and other people can see and disagree and agree. Uh, it's, it's all good stuff. Entertainment and education. It's all, it's awesome. I think, yeah, I, I couldn't, 
and no, I couldn't agree more. And you've been, you've been great. And it, it went exactly like I thought it was going to be. And like I said, we could make a week, we could make a week's worth out of this if we wanted right, to, right, but, right. um, and you know, and we are talking about that. People are going to agree. They're going to disagree. Um, we want you to drop us a note with your questions, uh, with your input. If you've got some, if you'd like to like us to talk about it, cowboyoffice.com. Um, don't forget to put your email in. Um, and again, it's cowboyoffice.com. We've had so much fun. We've had so much great input from you, from the viewers out there. Bart, we appreciate what you've done so much showing up with us. And, and I look forward Thank to seeing you at the next horse show, my friend. But, yep. uh, yes, sir. And, Good to yep. see you. Well, until the next time, stay in the middle. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Today's episode is brought to you by 40 Productions in cooperation with the Consultant Agency, a full-service agency that helps bring forward-thinking equine brands into the 21st century using digital skills and services such as website development, graphic design, social media, and media production such as the podcast you're consuming here today. Thank you so much for riding along with us today. Sign up at cowboyoffice.com to be the first to know about topics affecting the industry we love so much. You can reach out to us with topics you care about by finding us on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. And remember, share this episode with someone that may enjoy it, because the more we can share our horses with others, the better our world will be.